Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. That evening, we were sitting on the back deck and we were having supper, David and I, and we heard the awfulest sirens. And I got the awfulest feeling in my stomach, the gut of my stomach. And I told David, I said, something's not right. My worst fear in my life was something happening to one of my children. I've lived that fear. On the evening of August 28, 2013, 22-year-old Brittany Stikes has just left her mother-in-law's house with her 14-month-old daughter, Aubrey, and is driving through the wide rural landscapes of Bethel, Ohio. She plans to stop at her home to drop off a plate of food for her husband, Shane, then head over to her parents' house to celebrate her father's birthday. But Brittany never arrives, and her parents, Mary and David Dodson, fear the worst when they hear a chorus of sirens just a few miles away. I'm Steve French, and this is Unsolved Mysteries, Highway Ambush. On August 28, 2013, while Mary and David Dodson prepared for their family get-together, someone ambushed their daughter Brittany and their granddaughter on the nearby highway. Her headlights shining off the side of the road caught the attention of a passing driver. The gentleman that found her, he seen the Jeep down in the weeds and he drove by it. At first he thought it was just someone four-wheeling playing. And he said when he come back, he noticed the Jeep was still sitting in the same place and he told his wife, he said, well, we got to check on them. Her Jeep had went off the road. It had went down a hillside. It jumped a ditch that's about two foot deep, climbed up out of the ditch and went up through the trees and was in the trees, a tree stopped it. She was probably 600 feet off the road. When he come up on the Jeep, he said that Brittany was slumped over the steering wheel like she just laid down and went to sleep. And Aubrey was in the front seat in her car seat, was crying for her mommy. And he said he noticed the blood and stuff on her forehead. That's when he was calling to his wife, you know, to call 911. When first responders arrive, they discover the driver's side door of Brittany's Jeep is riddled with bullet holes 
and quickly realize that this is not an ordinary car accident. Within minutes, the scene is surrounded by police and a crime scene perimeter is established. David Dodson vividly recalls the moment he arrived at the scene where his daughter Brittany's yellow Jeep was sitting in a field off the highway. I got in my truck and actually drove up to where the sirens were at. And there was a fireman that had the road blocked right there. They wouldn't let me nowhere near her. And I asked him, can you tell me if that was a yellow Jeep with a girl with long hair? And he said, it was. And that they had took the baby to Brown County Hospital and it was being transported air care to Children's Hospital in Cincinnati. Mary Dodson is at home, waiting anxiously to know what has happened when the phone rings. It's Brittany's husband, Shane. He says, they shot Brittany and she's dead. And he hung up the phone. And I said, oh my God, and I lost it. I started crying and I went outside. I just kneeled on the ground, prayed to God, screamed my lungs out. I'd lost my daughter. Brittany is dead, and 14-month-old Aubrey is clinging to life in the hospital. So, without a moment to grieve for their daughter, Mary and David race to the emergency room to be with their granddaughter. She was shot in the head, in her forehead, and it came out the top of her head. It went through her front lobe of her brain. I remember the first time I saw her, and her hair was gone on top where they had to shave her, to operate on her. My heart hurt so bad, not only for her, but that her mother couldn't be here to comfort her. So I held her and I rocked her. Brittany's sudden and violent murder is impossible to comprehend. She was a caring, generous, straight-laced young woman who had a passion for farming from an early age. Brittany had recently married her boyfriend, Shane, and soon after, they had their first child, Aubrey. At the time of her death, Brittany and Shane were expecting a second child. There was really not a whole lot in Brittany's life that she didn't share with me. She was an amazing daughter. Very, very family-oriented. I mean, everything in her life centered around her brothers, sisters, and me and her mom. She had a sense of humor that was really awesome. I mean, me and her could be somewhere and we would never have to say anything to each other and just both of us could bust out laughing because we knew what each other was thinking. She was a homebody. She was here every day. She'd call every morning and say, Mom, Dad, what are you guys going to do today? And we'd tell her and she'd be right here with us doing it. She didn't have to be out adventuring the world. She was happy to be here in our little world. She liked to can with me and garden with me. We'd get up one day after Mother's Day in May and start in the morning and plant probably an acre and a half garden all day. She was with me for the long haul with everything. Our relationship had just blossomed to the point where her and I were friends. And I didn't get enough of that. When the call came out, everybody responded as fast as they could. It was so brutal. 
To commit a murder like this, it's just so out of left field. Quinn Carlson is currently a detective sergeant at the Brown County Sheriff's Office, and in 2020, was the lead investigator on Brittany Stikes' murder. He's an expert on every detail of the case. It was in the early evening. We have her heading southbound on 68, right around between 745 and 810. It was raining in a part of town that she was coming through. The marks going off the road, as it was described to me, didn't seem drastic or erratic. There weren't any significant tire marks or skid marks or anything. They were just two parallel tire impressions where it looked like a car drove off the road and went directly where the Jeep was found. There wasn't a huge drop-off. So to get where she ended up, she definitely had to have some speed going. The first question investigators tackle is how did the murderer approach the car? Was Brittany's car in motion when she was shot? Or is it possible someone forced her to pull over? I don't believe she would pull over because Brittany was always one that she didn't like to stop to help somebody. She was always afraid. And so for her to have been pulled over, it would have either had to been someone she knew or it would have had to been a police officer. Investigators analyzed the bullet entry points in the driver's side door of the vehicle to determine the trajectory. There were five shots fired into the vehicle and two of them struck Brittany. They all seem very targeted to kill the driver of that vehicle. The direction of the bullets, they all seem to be the same trajectory. And there was no stippling or anything around, so it wasn't right up close. But that's all. We don't know the distance away. The most prominent frustrating things evidence-wise is lack of shell casings. Was it a revolver? Did the revolver hold the casings? Was it coming from another car? Did the car catch the casings as they were ejected? You can come up with all kinds of different solutions, but the fact that there was no shell casings there, I believe, is a very important point of this case. The window of the Jeep was made of plastic, so there are no glass shards to help determine where the shooting took place, on the road or off the highway and the lack of tire prints or evidence around the Jeep make it impossible to pinpoint where and when Brittany was shot on her drive along Route 68. We have ideas and theories on what happened that kind of match the evidence. We really don't know exactly how it transpired. I don't believe anybody walked up to the vehicle and shot her. That doesn't match the evidence. It could be someone paced the car. It could be that the car was slowed down and fired into. It could be numerous options. One of the conclusions we came to was the pattern of the bullets in the vehicle did show that the person who did the shooting was good with a firearm. With little evidence to go on, investigators begin to search for any potential witnesses to the crime and any video surveillance footage that may have recorded Brittany during her drive. We have her on camera driving eastbound on State Route 125 and just driving normally, not driving erratically. Nobody seems to be following her. It's very open for a long way, so you do have visual for a ways north and south. There's also a couple streets that come into State Route 68 right in that area. It is one of our most traveled roads. There can be minutes that go by where a car doesn't go by, but I would say the vast majority of the time, you see a car every 20, 30 seconds. It would be so easy to see the person doing this, so... This was a very brazen act. No witnesses to the crime come forward, 
so investigators dive into Brittany's phone records to search for a lead. Was someone who knew where she was headed waiting on the highway for her to pass? Not many people knew where Brittany was that day. That's another issue with this case. She was coming from her mother-in-law's, and there was a text sent on her way that they were just leaving a certain area. But there was no way to determine exactly where she was. That was it, and that was to her mother-in-law at the time, and that was all the correspondence. Investigators struggle to immediately identify a suspect or a motive for the murder, so they look at those closest to Brittany, starting with her husband, Shane. Brittany's father shared with investigators everything he knew about their relationship. When she had broke up with her boyfriend that she'd went all through school with, she wound up going out with Shane. She worked at a little Subway restaurant down here in town, and he used to come in there all the time and always was asking her out, and that's kind of how they met. When she first introduced me, I knew he was a lot older, and I always figured she was kind of on a rebound and that it wouldn't last very long, but she was in love with Shane. A lot of the text messages in the beginning was he was an amazing guy. She lived with us until she moved out with Shane, and she lived probably about five miles from here. I don't think they were dating too awful long. I think it was more like maybe five or six months, maybe. And she wound up pregnant. And she came to me one night crying and upset. And she thought I was going to be disappointed in her. And I told her, I said, honey, I can't be disappointed for you or hold something against you that happened to me. I mean, David and I was in the same boat when we got married. No matter what the situation, that child is a gift. She called me one morning and she said, you know, I know you're close to the preacher. Can you get him to marry us today? Shane will only marry me today. If it's not today, he's not going to marry me. She had started planning her wedding when she was a teenager. So her plans of a big wedding kind of went out the window and we called the preacher and he agreed to meet us at the church and marry him. But he says, you understand, I'll be in bib overalls because I've been out in my garden working. So when it came to her wedding, it was basically me and her mom and Shane and her was all that was there in the preacher. I think she was always disappointed that she never got the wedding and me to walk her down the aisle and the things she wanted. But, you know, her and Shane got married. Everything was fine for a while. Hey, Unsolved Mysteries listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. There's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for family members, and sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with Gift Mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for my fitness fanatic sister. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Are you ready to shop? 
Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores, including headliners Adidas, Expedia, and Ray-Ban. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals. During Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th, the cash back rates are even bigger. I'll be shopping for travel deals and home electronics. You can save on everything you need for summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of Big Give Week's 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Brittany and Shane lived just outside of Ripley, Ohio, when their daughter Aubrey was born. Her wedding may have been a disappointment, but motherhood was everything Brittany dreamed it would be. When it came to Aubrey, Aubrey was 100% her world. She got to have Aubrey's first birthday here at the house, and I've got a big old circus tent. And she sent out invitations to everyone to come to Aubrey's birthday, but it was actually a ticket to the circus. And she had all these little metal cages and stuff set up with little stuffed animals. And she spent two or three days setting up for this birthday party for Aubrey. Aubrey was Brittany's first child, but Shane had two other children from previous partners for whom he was paying child support. When Shane married Brittany, he tried to get custody of his other two children, but the courts wouldn't award it to him. And right after that happened, it was like he was done with Brittany then. He kind of just quit coming home. He was staying at the gym and working out all the time and always had excuses why he couldn't come home. That's kind of when I knew there were some problems. Brittany spent much of her time at her parents' home, and they say she confided in them that things were not going well with her marriage. I honestly think Brittany was afraid of him. She called me one day crying, and she says, Mom, can I bring my dog home? And I said, why? She says, it went to eat Shane's dog's food, and he literally almost beat my dog to death. She says, I'm going to have to pick it up to put it in the car. It has blood everywhere. Can I bring it home? And I said, yes, honey, bring your dog home. And I think that really scared her. There was a few times she'd come here with bruises and stuff on her, and I questioned her about it, and she always kind of just denied it. And then she'd come here one night, and she said, Dad, Shane bounced my head off the floor, and she seen me give him a look, and she says, oh, real quick, she defended. She says, we were just playing around. I never pushed the issue with Brittany because she would always tell me what she wanted me to know, and I could see that things were not going as good as they had planned. According to her parents, the deterioration of Brittany and Shane's relationship accelerated in May of 2013 when she discovered that she was pregnant with a second child. The only thing she really shared with me, she was petrified of telling Shane she was pregnant again. I mean, she just sobbed when she told me and she just kept saying, Dad, you don't have a clue what's going to happen. I was going to the doctor's visits with her her checkups and everything. And we got to the point where the next checkup, we were supposed to find out whether it was a boy or a girl. And she had not told Shane yet. 
And we were standing here in my kitchen talking and her phone rang and it was Shane and she put it on speakerphone and she said to him, she said, well, Shane, I know you don't want to spend time with me. She says, but you've got a daughter here that you need to spend some time with. And he got ticked off and he threw his phone and we heard him in the background. I looked at Brittany and Brittany looked at me and I said, what are you going to do? And she says, I'm going to go inform him. He's going to be paying child support on two children. And so that's the evening she went home and she told him that they were expecting the second child. And I guess it didn't go well. And she called me later. Oh, she couldn't hardly breathe. She was crying. And she told me she told him and he started throwing things and getting verbally abusive with her and everything else. And I said, well, where is he now? And she said, he left. Brittany's mother says she urged her daughter to bring Aubrey and stay at their house. But Brittany chose to wait for Shane to return. When he walked in the door the next day, Brittany told her mother that Shane's demeanor had completely changed. The next morning after she told him, she came over here to the house and she said, like a light switch flipped. All of a sudden, he's happy. He can't wait for another baby to get here. And she said, you know, from last night, he didn't want another child. And then this morning, all of a sudden, he's tickled to death to be having another one. And she says, it's just something does not feel right. Only two weeks after telling Shane she was pregnant, Brittany's family says she was trying her best to prepare for the future. She started applying for jobs and found an opening at the IRS. On Wednesday, August 28th, Brittany got up early and went to her mother-in-law's house to use her computer to complete her job application because her own computer wasn't working. I spoke with Brittany the morning of the day that she was murdered. She called me to tell me that she was going to go to Shane's mother's house and she was going to stop by after she got done down there and that she'd be over later. And I said, okay, honey, I love you. And that was the last time I talked to her. Brittany was ambushed just 10 minutes from her home. At the time, Shane was working out at a gym 10 miles away. In the beginning, he was very, very upset because he was even being questioned about it. He felt that he should have been at the hospital that night with Aubrey instead of being took to the sheriff's office to be questioned. He says he was at the gym. He was supposedly already took a shower and was in bed with the wood stove burning when the sheriff's department got there on an August day, 90 degrees outside. At the time he was questioned, Shane submitted to a polygraph exam and a gun residue test. Both came back negative. Investigators also confirmed his alibi. He was at the gym at the time of Brittany's murder. I know Shane. From the beginning, he's worked with us. Everything we've asked him to do, he's done. Previous detectives were able to prove that he was not in the area at that time. Nobody's cleared, but there are some people that we're just not looking at anymore. Investigators explore other acquaintances of Brittany's, but they find no shady characters or risky behaviors that might have put her on someone's bad side. Shane tells detectives he believes the assailant could have been a convenience store clerk who thought Shane had reported his store for fraud, but upon further investigation, the lead goes nowhere. At this point in the investigation, detectives must consider whether Brittany was a victim of a random act of violence. The crime itself seemed very targeted. It was a very noticeable bright yellow Jeep. 
there doesn't seem to be any motive when it comes to this murder. It seems so targeted for apparently no reason. I think it's very possible that it was a mistaken identity. Was she not the target? Was he the target? Were they really going for him and not her? Because who else drives the bright yellow Jeep? Every possibility has to be on the table. Police create a tip line, and in 2015, they receive a promising lead from a woman in prison. She claims she was a passenger in her boyfriend's car when he shot Brittany, and that he received two payments of $10,000 from Shane to carry out the hit. I'd called the sheriffs every day, and when they served them search warrants, I asked the detective at that time, I says, what is she asking for? He says, what do you mean? I said, well, there's a $20,000 reward. Is she asking for the money? He said, nope. And I said, is she asking to get out of jail? Nope. And I said, then she doesn't have anything because she's already locked up and that would be a bargaining chip if you had something. Everything she had said was determined that she had found it mostly from news articles and the things that she said happened were determined to be inaccurate. And so the case moved on. But that was a very frustrating time. With some of these high-profile cases around here, unfortunately, a lot of people will say they know something about it or they'll tell people on the street that they were involved so they can put fear into people in their circle or get some level of street credit to make people afraid of them. So we look into it and it doesn't help the investigation at all. Us as investigators, we need to hunt down every one of those statements to see if there's any validity to any of them. And that leads initially in the investigation in numerous different ways. And those were all followed and tracked down and didn't come into fruition. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
After nine years, potential leads and all avenues of investigation have been examined and re-examined, but progress on the case has slowed. Still missing that one tip to give the case a new direction. When I took it over, one of the things I wanted to do that was very important to me was to get the word out, not just locally, but to as many people as possible. To reach that one person that knows what happened that day and to get them to come forward because that's what we're going to need to break this case. The person that knows what happened, the person that may have talked to the shooter at the bar or someone that has a family member that knows exactly what happened and is terrified to come forward. We have avenues for that person to bring the information to us where they don't have to put themselves in jeopardy. Seeing this case resolved would mean being able to give the family the answers they deserve. It would mean sending the person responsible to prison. I can't imagine losing someone the way they lost Brittany and then not know who was responsible or why she's no longer with him. That type of pain is just honestly beyond words. So being able to give that to the family would be something we all hope and pray for every day. While Brittany's death is an ongoing source of pain for her family, one ray of sunshine is Aubrey's miraculous survival. If you've seen the pictures of Aubrey when she was in the hospital and to see her today, it is just totally amazing. She was in the hospital right around a month. Me and Mary went down, you know, every day to see her. And I used to laugh because the nurses that were taking care of her, she would, they would always, well, Aubrey's been waiting for Mama and Papa to get here because I always sit and rub her feet and stuff when I'd hold her. And they said she'd been waiting for that foot rub to get here. Then she got out, and she's smart as a tack. It's amazing that this traveled through the front lobe of her brain, and there's no side effects from it. For Mary and David Dotson, Aubrey motivates their resolve to find Brittany's killer. To look back at it now, I question, like, how the hell did I survive that? Because... The night I lost my daughter, I lived my worst fear. My worst fear in my life was something happening to one of my children. I've lived that fear. Somebody took something that was not theirs to take. Aubrey's 10 years old and I love her dearly. And sometimes it's like listening to Brittany. I see a little of Brit in that child. I'm so thankful for that. Aubrey's our little miracle. Brittany went to heaven, but God left one with us. There is a $50,000 reward for information leading to the arrest and conviction of Brittany's killer. If you have any information on the murder of Brittany Stikes, please call the Brown County Sheriff's Office at 937-378-4435 or Crime Stoppers at 888-352-3040. Tips may also be submitted online at www.browncountyohiosheriff.com or by contacting unsolved.com. Next on Unsolved Mysteries. I could see someone saying, hey Jake, I need help. I need help with this one thing. And next thing you know, Jacob is downstate and 100 miles from home and 
All I can imagine is that things had spiraled out of control. Unsolved Mysteries is a production of Cosgrove Mirror Productions and Cadence 13, an Odyssey company. It is executive produced by Terry Dunn-Muir and Chris Corcoran. Produced by Christine Lenig, Courtney Ennis, and Bill Schultz. The story producer for this episode was Ann Toller, and it was edited by Ryan Dan. From Cadence 13, editing, mixing, and mastering by Chris Basil and Andy Jaskowitz. Production support by Sean Cherry, Ian Mott, and Ava Fenneberger. Artwork and design is by Kirk Courtney. Publicity by Maura Curran, Josephina Francis, and Hilary Schuff. The original theme music was composed by Gary Malkin and Michael Boyd. Thanks for listening to episode 77 of Unsolved Mysteries.